This is The Union, the intersection between people, apps, and AI. We'll inspire and challenge you as we ask questions, uncover insights, and share inspiring stories about digital ecosystems and automation. Well, hey everyone, I am Scott King, and that is Chris Krause. Thanks for joining us at this episode of the Union Podcast, where we're going we're gonna to talk about AI, and we're going to talk about the hype versus the reality, because the the hype around generative AI, Chris, is it's great, right? It's tactically valuable. People can use it, but there's more value. There's more models in other types of AI, right? So that's yeah. ex- explain a little bit about what we're going to talk about in terms of one. Yes, there's the hype and everyone's trying to get on board, but you may be missing an, an easier and simpler opportunity. Right. So we, yeah, we talked about this. If you, if you don't remember the types of AI that are out there, there's natural language processing and understanding. There's categorizers that allow you to pick things like categorize, categorizing, categorizing is basically like in an email, is this email for a question on returns? Is this email a question on order statuses or categorizing can be like picking something from a list like should this customer get a discount? Yes or no. You're picking from a list. Um, another one is predictors. And predictors, um, which is kind of weird because you think of, I'm going to predict a category. But there's, I'll try to be very specific with my words. Predictors are you're predicting a number. So a, a an example that like John Michelson always gives is, you know there's a way to convert from Celsius to Fahrenheit. There's a mathematical equation to do that. But in a predictor and machine learning, you give examples of both and then it figures out what it should be, like what should be the temperature be. Or if you want to predict, say, maybe your electric consumption, the in the um, um, electric companies, they do this. They may look at the temperature. They look to say, is there a holiday in the week? So you're going to be home versus at work to see if your usage patterns change and they predict what your electric consumption should be in your bill. So that's you're predicting a number. So these two things have been around a very long time. They don't have the hype of generative AI. So it's kind of overshadowing it. It's definitely raised our expectations. Um, and so, but there's other things we can do with machine learning models in the, in the realm of AI that have great value, especially to the enterprise. So yeah, John always talks about there's greater value in predicting numbers and dates, right? Because those are helping, you know, maybe financial decisions or something like that. And, and we attended a, a, it was just a generative AI summit, so it was kind of focused on that. And there was a guy from ENY, Oscar Marine, um, mm-hmm. and and he agreed. You know, he said the predictors. Uh, are way more valuable. Generative AI does have some value in, and this was at a, I think it was at a law firm, wasn't it, Chris? And they were talking about yeah, generating contracts and, um, you know, doing more paperwork. I mean, that saved time, but it didn't really move the needle on a balance sheet. Mm-hmm. All right. So if we're going to talk about predictors or categorizers, what, you know, what are they doing? So, yeah. Maybe, maybe explain what they are and then how people are using those today, because I, I would imagine it's it's n- simple, not simple. 
It's well, it depends on your perspective, right? So there are a lot of open source models, machine learning models. So the math, if you, if you need a refresher on that, we did a blog on what's AI, how does machine learning work in all the categories. But so if you want details, I'll keep it higher level here. But machine learning is a mathematical model. And a predictor is basically say giving me different, say, numbers or attributes and then predicting a number. So, for example, the electric consumption in your house could be based on temperature. You may want to know the humidity, then how many days that you would be in the home versus at work. And then you would give sample history of that to a machine learning model. And then it would start predicting how much electricity you would use. So you'd say, historically, over the last 12 months, this was the temperature, the humidity, what Monday through Friday were holidays or not, and then the electric consumption. And then we say, okay, machine learning model, based on this historical data, let's predict in the future. If it's this, the weather forecast is this, and there's a holiday, not a holiday, let's predict how much electricity we'd use. Can, so, uh, can ERCOT use this? Because they seem to mess this up. Yeah. So ERCOT and uh, like our local provider Encore, they do this, right? I get uh, from my, from my electric bill, whether you've got like, you know, Tri-Energy or Green Mountain, whatever, you get these predictions and it's based on looking at weather patterns in that. Um, So categorizers, that's one that people kind of get, especially when you talk about email, it's like, what is, let's categorize this email. Is this a, the intent is to answer a question about an invoice or a bill or an FAQ. Um, it could be applied into, say, um, giving someone vacation leave. Like when a manager is asked, can I take vacation? They're going to look at some different data. They're going to look at, okay, how much vacation is is available for this employee? Do they need an override? Maybe they work in a warehouse, so they want to know how many people are on shift, how busy is the warehouse from the forecasting engine. And then they're going to say, yes or no, I have enough people I can grant vacation or not. So that's like a yes or no answer and a categorization. And so, unless, you're, unless your manager is mad at you and introduces bias into the equation. Yes. Right? Well, you, you would learn the bias, right? Yeah. Yes. You definitely learn the bias. And so the idea is there's lots of like machine learning models out there. So if you, if you get a textbook on machine learning or you go to one of these websites, it talks about machine learning and that they'll tell you there's pre-built models out there. They're open source that have the mathematical equations to do calculations of a number and predictions of a category. And so there, and there's different clustering analysis and that, but so that's all there. Now the trick is you would have to have to put your, learn to be a data scientist. You don't probably have to learn Python and open up PyCharm and download scikit-learn. And you'd actually have to start learning how to be a data scientist to use these. So yeah, that, data was, uh, that was my next question is who's doing this? Cause I would assume if there's an open source model, right, that's automatically, you know, way more technical than I think most people on the internet. Yes. Right. Cause people can, uh, maybe, you know, people can use chat GPT, right? right? It's, it's basically the machine learning that has like a nice user interface, but what you're talking about is the models back behind. So you have to be a da- data scientist, I would assume. Um, yeah. and then and a programmer. Yeah. And, a pro- and, and there's a finite number of those people, right? Right. So we have to bridge that gap between what's an open source model and how to make it usable. Yeah. And the thing, the a programmer can use them. A data scientist has learned that 
these models do categorizations and clustering of data one way versus the other way. These do predictions that are handle time series data. These ones do predictions that don't handle time series data. So all of a sudden, the data scientist has like some intellectual property, some understanding of, okay, based on my problem, I'm going to look at my data, which we'll talk about next. I need to use this model or this model. Or I need to try these two models or try these three models to actually solve the problem. So it's definitely a human process, a human thought trial and error to find the right one. So now, of course, this is like 30% of the problems you have. This is like there are 30% of the things you'd want to do. We believe there are out already pre-built models. You start applying them and testing them. Of course, all the other ones, you know, there's the, the multi-year data scientists, unstructured versus structured learning projects where you're doing all this stuff to really solve amazingly complicated things and write a new machine learning model. We're talking about the other use case, that 30%. Yeah, I mean, the the complicated ones, that's what you're talking about when people are building businesses on top of AI products. We're just talking about, like, how to help every, everyday people, mm-hmm. um, you know, make better decisions, right? So right. Uh, we're, not, we're not talking Netflix, how to uh, show the next title, you know, based on your viewing history. Right. And so in this case, there's the, let's go pick the model, and it's going to be based on the data. So ideally, you have some clean data. The data scientist can see is it skewed. Is this time series data and such? They'll analyze that and they'll start saying, okay, which model solves this best? And then they actually start writing code to test them, right? So the problem is when you need a technical person to do that, at the enterprise level, if you have 100 projects to do this, you're going to say, okay, I need to stack rank these on value. And then I need to ask the data scientist a level of effort to implement these. And then I may need a data scientist team to actually say, go, even though they're open source models, deploy them, test them, bring them up. And then how do I bring it to the customer? Right? How do I actually put this inside an application or workflow so people can use it? So that's where people kind of, they, they get stuck. They're like, okay, I, I, there's just too many things that have to happen. This is actually a software development lifecycle. To do yeah, this. how how long? That sounds like a long time. Like guesstimate how long is that that you just explained? So, really? like software development life cycles usually are like when we do big room planning and agile, they're always like you know three months, six months, nine months. You know those type of things together. It's a multi month opportunity, yeah. right? So at Krista, we say there is a better answer. Like because I'm scoping to that thirty percent of the problems. We know there's open source models out there who know how to do these calculations. The trick is, how can you make the software or the machine do the work to pick the right model and run the, run the tests for you? So you want to actually, that's actually kind of that, people say machine speed. How can you actually get to a point where the machine is doing the work for you versus needing data scientists? Because you want those guys to solve those really complex problems where they're writing a model, not the things that we learn in school of like, here's four models, test them and tell me the differences, right? So if does, so when in that scenario, does this data scientist, does he help with this project? If we're going to help them, um, you know, stick with the more complicated things and produce, you know, that type of value with the more complicated models, this project that you're talking about, 
So it's it's less technical, right? Because I'm yes. making the machine do all the testing and everything. But um, I mean, I would I would assume that someone wanting to run this test may or may not have good or clean data, right? So yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the time they say the di- data science projects, the data is the biggest problem, right? So it's a whole lot of manipulation. Yeah. What 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 about the data? Like if I if yeah. if I don't have data, what do I do? Yeah. So, so the two problems you brought up is the audience. We want to make this easier so that the business people can actually add this to a process without having data scientists. So that's where we want software to do the work. Think machine learning, building machine learning. That's an, say we, and then, and the business people actually know their data, right? So they can extract, say, out of their contact center information, emails and categories of, of what they were, or they may have examples of data they can provide, like on giving discounts or not giving discounts to a customer or like electric consumption. So the closer you get to actual functional business people, they actually know their data and they have their data. Now, of course, so we, not all data is perfect, but you know, if you have 10,000 emails and three are miscategorized, it's not going to skew the model. If 2% miscategorized, it's not going to skew the model. So you have to trust that like, the model's going to learn on the, the things that are more repeatable. But the closer you get to data, um, the closer you get to the business, the closer you are to the data itself. And then two things happen. Either you have some data to start with or you have none. So in the example of like email triage, you probably have sample emails that categorize. And of course, you're going to say this isn't perfect because humans categorized it. So um, when you say the maybe- sample emails, Chris... Like I can get that out of if I have a ticketing system or CRM Zendesk, system or NetSuite, Salesforce. Yeah, okay. yeah, I can go extract that and look at it. Like okay. I probably put it somewhere. Now on the other side, say like grainy vacation, this is like a whole new process, right? So you may not have the data, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. What you want is you want the business people who are running this process to train the model in real time. So what happens is if we create, say, a workflow that says, okay, and it asks, the person says, I want to take vacation on these dates. And in the background, we go to the HR system and say, this is how much vacation the person has. We then look into success factors and say, okay, this is their manager. We figure out what warehouse they're working in. And then for that time frame, we ask the forecasting engine what's expected busy inside of there. We ask timesheets, how many people are on shift. If we, that's all the data we would give to a human to make that decision, that's the same data we're going to give to the machine learning model to learn how to make this decision. So the idea is you can actually start with no data. Now, the AI model will have no confidence that it's the right answer because it's actually kind of in learning mode. And in this case, there's very little difference between training and retraining because it's, it's done through the same experience, right? So we tell a human and don't tell them the AI answer. Given this information, would you grant vacation, yes or no? And then we give that as training data to the machine learning model. And then say after a month or two, and you know people who've had two or 300 people request vacations, it can then say, okay, I have some data. Let me, let me create a model automatically. And in the background, it may run this through multiple categorizers, you know, like random forest and, you know, how does it do the clustering and things like that. It can run through multiple algorithms and then start giving you a prediction. So now initially those predictions may be 
low confidence if the data is very varied, or maybe they're kind of moderate confident because the questions are very similar, the, the profile of the amount of vacation and the shipping is all very similar. And so it allows you to start training while you're using it. So it doesn't mean you have to do that ahead of time, implement your business process, and then have that happen in the background. Then it's how do you get the users to trust it? This, the thing I mentioned on confidence, right? Yeah, because the, the trust factor is big, right? Because you, I mean, you explained a process that a manager would go through anyway, you know, mm -hmm. looking in all these different systems and, you know, like coming up with a yes or no answer, right? Yes. I mean, that's, they're, you, you know, people are used to having their people do that and moving that to a machine. It, there's just so many unknowns, like people don't trust it, right? But basically right. they're doing the same exact thing. Right. It's, it's kind of interesting how you talk here if there was no data inside this process and you basically, you know, I'll say listen on the wire. I mean, you can think of, like mm -hmm. eavesdropping and just like building this data, you know, yep. like maybe row after row, right, in a table. I mean, that seems like a, a good way to do it, but you'd still want someone at the end of the process to push a button that says yes or no. Yep. Yeah, because and you do. And the idea is you're actually now, say, creating the data and the answers kind of in a curated way. So you have good data coming in. You've got your your manager's or qualified to make the decision or making the decisions. And the AI model starts to learn how to categorize that. And it should say yes or no. So now what happens is, say after this transfer a couple months and we have the samples, you can actually modify your workflow just a little bit and say, okay, hey user, machine learning model has predicted yes, grant vacation or no, don't grant vacation. And it'll give you a confidence. How confident is in its answer? And that way the users will start seeing, okay, it's actually making a decision and is it matching my decision? So the user at that point, you want them to say, yes, I agree um, or no, you got it wrong. So what happens is we'll start walking them into the process to see, okay, this is what AI said. Do you agree or not? And what happens is, is, is the more they agree, the more the human learns to trust, okay, it's getting the right thing. Or the more they disagree, the more the model gets retrained and gets stronger over time. So it'll actually go from not agreeing to more agreeing. And at that point, we say, you know, humans, like we all, we all want some assistance. So if literally it is always getting the answer right, we can say, okay, I'm going to act, I trust the AI is working. Let me handshake it. So it's not a black box. They actually saw it get better over time and notice it always agrees with the predictions, whether it's predicting number or categorizations. And then that means you would want to hand it over to automate that process. So you don't have that manual effort on your side. And our assertion is you've got hundreds of these type processes in your business. If you just knew that you could do that. And 30% of those are going to be things that machine learning can build the machine learning. Like we have models today. So, I mean, if this 30% example, we talked about the vacation uh, mm -hmm. policy. We talked about the the email triage. We have a few customers yep. doing that, and that saves a ton of time and effort. 
What are what are some of the other thirty percent examples that that uh, that we can provide? I I mean, so I know that like when I've been on the phone with um, a company, it's like, do we give you a discount to keep you as a customer to prevent from churning? So if you're looking at moving off of your streaming service or your TV service or your switching phone companies, you're like, they would look at you and say, okay, you a high value customer. Should we give you a discount to prevent you from churning? So it's something like that could help in that because that's always a let me put you on hold and ask my manager, ask a person who's qualified to make the decision, come back, put that in the hands of every person answering the questions. Right. Or like when I am, um, I got my new iPhone, I said, well, you're you've had yours for so long on your on your auto replacement plan. So it, it's a hard it's actually a hard cutted rule. If you're halfway through, yes, you get the new phone. If not, you have to wait this many months. So you're halfway through. Well, that could actually be more subjective based on how huge your phone bill is, right? Um, you can machine learning. It didn't have to be a hard and fast rule. So think about it, if there's things you have hard and fast. If then, if contract greater than fifty percent of months, yes or no? Do you want to add some flexibility there? Yeah, I um, so I was I bought something from this website uh, a couple of different times, and they have a hard rule. Um, if if you put something in your cart and you close your browser, they immediately email you a five percent discount um, mm-hmm. for your cart, right? So I so I just get a five percent every time because I'll just build my cart and then close it, then they email me, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's ridiculous, but I do it anyway. Uh, yeah. Because it's quite expensive, right? But the 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 AI rules, it's a whole different ball game, but it's. It's not as simple, you know, it's, it's simple. It's not as hard as people think it is. Right. So from a, you know, from a takeaway, Chris, like what, like what do, what do people need to do? Like how, how could they get started to say, okay, I still don't trust you, but if I yeah. was going to do one of these higher volume, lower risk, uh, you know, situations with the, with the predictors and the categorizers, mm-hmm. what, do, what do they need to do? So I would say first thing is go look at your business case to say, okay, is this something that happens every day, a hundred times a day? Because, you know, things you want to spend some effort on, things that are high, high volume that you do all the time, you actually want to automate because things because then you get more value for your bang for your buck. Right. And the second is um, if you can think through the process, okay, what what is the different input data I need to make this decision? And then what is the output decision? Is it predicting a number or is it categorizing picking something? Then like you can actually contact us and we can help you with that. That's because the machine learning models are built automatically in the software. All you do is you give us say like Excel or CSV file of the actual data and then the answer you're expecting. We run it through the software and it says, okay, I've, Pick a machine learning model for you. Don't worry about what it is. And we'll tell you how confident we are. We'll take 80% and train and take 20% and test, which is what happens in the background. And we'll test them. So, okay, this is actually what we're predicting. So it's, you know, in most cases, it's not, can the machine learning help me? It's like, can, am I ready to make that change? And then is this a big enough pain? Does it happen often enough that I want to automate it? And so, and there's kind of, they exist, right? They, they exist. And there's lots of machine learning models that can solve this, but it's actually that operationalizing them. And that's something we can totally help you with. 
All right. Well, that makes sense. So I appreciate it, Chris. And, and I like, um, I like what you said, am I ready for this? So, um, mm-hmm. so that may be the title. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, well, yep. thanks for joining me for, uh, this episode of the union podcast, Chris, I really enjoyed this episode. It was interesting cause it's a little outside of my, uh, world and, um, until next time. Thanks for listening to The Union. I hope it was insightful and caused you to think about how you can influence technical advancements at your company. Please subscribe to The Union podcast series on your favorite podcast player to listen to past and future episodes. If you have a question for any of us or have a suggestion for the show, please email me at scott at Thanks for listening.